From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara the Patty and J.H. Baker, Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined today by my guest co-host, Annie Wilson, who's a senior lecturer of marketing here at the Wharton School. Hello, Annie. Hi, Barbara. Thank you very much for joining us in the studio today. Did you teach today? I did. I taught three classes and a talk in the middle of the day. So. Oh, geez. So you're totally exhausted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of brain dead, but that's good. That's, that'll work. Uh, anyway, we're happy to be here in the studio with Annie. America's had something to do today, but he'll be back maybe next week, I'm hoping. Um, we have Pamela Danzinger, who is the founder of the research firm Unity Marketing, and she's a senior contributor on Forbes.com in the retail space. And she's the author of 11 books, including Meet the Henrys. That's probably her most famous one. Hello, Pamela. Thank you for being here in this, with us on the show. Well, it's great to be with you, Barbara. And hi, Annie. And, you know, I Usually, Barbara, I'm the one interviewing you, so it's uh, fun to have the tables turn this time, and let's see how I do. Yeah, I mean, you're a big expert, and you're very well known for this Henry's book. Why don't you tell us, I know Henry's is an acronym, Uh, why don't you tell us what Henry stands for? Okay, Henry stands for the high earners not rich yet, Um, and so they're, they're the people that sort of sit between the middle-income consumers and the truly affluent people who are really, you know, making a lot of money. They're, they're sort of in a, in a sweet spot. So they're, they're upper middle income, but they, they share very, you know, a lot of characteristics of higher, high, the high, really high income earners, the, the, the ultra affluent, as I like to call them. And, you know, it's, what's interesting is that most people, don't get out of school, don't graduate from Wharton, making, (laughs) you know, really at that top income level on graduating. But almost everybody who becomes an ultra affluent goes through a period of being Henry. So if you want to kind of look over the horizon, where things are going in, in the luxury market or the mass market or any market, you know, I think the Henrys are the ones that you just have to keep your eyes on. So, like, with that in mind, uh, one of the things that a lot of people are talking about is what's happening to the luxury market. I mean, for a while yeah. there, Bernard Arnault was the richest man in the world. Now I think he's number two or number three. It goes between Elon <laughs> Musk and Jeff Bezos, depending upon their fortunes in their company and what comes yeah. out of their mouth. But um, right now, part of the reason Bernard Arnault is, is, is not the richest man in the world is some of the luxury stocks have gone down. And I think yeah. that we've seen... Um, in particular in the U.S., some decline in sales. And maybe yeah. maybe what the Henrys are doing is somewhat responsible for this. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, what's oh, your thought about that? Well, without a doubt, you know, I, as a market researcher, I really, you know, I and I'm always looking at the future. So market research often is, you know, we look at what's happened in the past. And I try to take that and derive what's going on in the future. And the methodology I use, I basically have a three-pronged strategy that I've adapted from uh, mystery novels and detective (laughs) stories and police procedurals. So you need to look at who has the means, the means to, to make purchases. And that is really defined by demographics, quantifiable demographics like age, income, gender, lifestyle, or life stage particularly, 
who has the opportunity, you know, which defines shopping behaviors, where, when, how much they're spending, what they're buying, and so on. So that's opportunity. And then you have motive, and what is the motive, why they buy. And if you look at means and opportunity, those can change, you know, we age one year every year. So age demographics, means change, opportunity change, people's purchase behavior changes on a dime. But motive, the underlying reason why people buy really is much more stable over time. So if you kind of cap capture and understand the consumer psychology, their needs and desires, you have a much better chance of really seeing where the future lies in terms of of any consumer behavior. And um, I, I like to quote a uh, consumer psychologist, Chris Gray. He called, he goes by the brand name, the psychologist, and he says, <laughs> all consumer behavior beyond, you know, just the you know basic food needs that we have and so on is ultimately all consumer behavior is a means to an emotional end. Um, and that's, you know, to satisfy emotional needs or respond to emotional needs and Luxury is certainly one of those purchases that are highly emotional. And as we look at the holiday gift season coming up, I mean, that also, you know, gifting is all about satisfying an emotional need for connection, you know, to express affection and, and express love for, for your loved ones. So, Annie, let me ask you, she's, she's talking about like kind of things you probably were teaching today. Uh, <laughs> did you have any reaction to what her theory is here? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think there are there's a, a relative stability in terms of motives, but they can also sometimes shift depending on the context in oh. terms of maybe not the uh, nature of the motive, but the strength of the motive or its prioritization over other motives. Motives um, and preferences. And I guess to that point, I, I'm sort of curious if we think about, and, and what I'm assuming you're alluding to is that some of this downturn is due to a shift in means and, you know, is also tracking with what's happening with the economy and perceived means and also the housing market and wanting to save to get into the housing market if you're a Henry, for example. Um, so then what does a luxury brand do? Do we strengthen the motive so we make that emotional pull stronger to try to overcome those means barriers? Uh, you know, we need to be careful about, you know, dropping price or increasing accessibility in luxury. So how are they managing what you see as the, the drivers of this downturn? Well, well actually, I, I do not think that the downturn is necessarily a function of a shift in their means. I think it's it's much more a factor of who these people are. I mean, who are the Henrys? Who are the ultra affluent? These are pe- this is the professional class. These are people who have high levels of education. You know, they graduated from schools like Wharton. They have high levels of education. They are running businesses or managing important parts of businesses. So they have to, to pay attention to, the, to the, the business news and what's going on out there. And they also, because of their high levels of education, they can you know, read the signs better than you know, normal consumers you know, sitting and you know, just watching television and, and not really seeing the future. So I think that what they're seeing right now is the economy is extremely unstable. People do not get wealthy by spending all their money. And they are very shrewd and calculating. And I think they're seeing right now it's time to pull back and wait and see what happens because they're not going to risk, you know, their their status. They're not going to risk their their lifestyle for buying stuff 
that you know they don't need. So I I really think that that's what's going so on. So it's not necessarily a reduction in present means, but it's potential that things could get worse. Preservation. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Not putting too much at risk. And you know, back in two thousand and seven, I my re- my research at that time back in two thousand and seven, about six months before people really started talking recession. I saw a sharp downturn in people's inclination to buy. Ah, so you're saying something even stronger. Are you suggesting this is the beginnings of, you're seeing signs (laughs) of a potential recession? Are you going to go out on that limb? (laughs) Well, uh, you know, I'm not not an economist, but I think it's it's common sense. I mean, what we've been through, what we're going to, what we're going through right now, where the world is right now, I think it's only common sense. Um, people are going to be cutting back. And, you know, I, when we think about what can luxury brands do, I think they just have to manage their business very carefully um, and not, you know, and not, not try to push too much because that, that's, you know, you know, spending on marketing is, you know, is a cost. So you really have to manage your 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 capital very carefully. So so let's get specific about that. I know you recently wrote a story on Gucci. Um, and Gucci was <laughs> Gucci was going really well for a while. Oh, now yeah. Gucci's is down. Um, and so, what are your thoughts about that? And you know, getting back to Andy's question, like what can? Because I mean, I let me just add one other thing in here. Like you're talking about these macro trends, these economic trends are changing whether or not people want um, luxury. But the other thing right. that I read was that it's a shift in spending. It's also they don't want to buy on luxury products; they're buying more on travel, hospitality, etc. Still coming out of COVID. Yeah and building up. Absolutely. So it's a little bit of a short-term shift, and that should stabilize once you get sick of travel, which I'm already yeah. sick of, let me just say. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Isn't it great I'm not having to get on an airplane anymore? Yeah, yeah I'm already <laughs> done with travel. Um, but but let's look at something like Gucci. Gucci's an interesting company, and since you wrote oh. on it, you probably can talk about it. I mean, it was like, you know, I, I mean, and another interesting company is Bal- Balenciaga. I don't know if you want to go there, but... Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that, that, well, you know, both of them are, uh, I don't quite understand it. And I, you know, when I, when I read a story, I really like to say, show the positive sign. I like to, I like to look at the positive um, angle. And it was, it's just very, was very hard for me to look at Gucci and say anything positive because they've had this tendency over the course of the last, um, you know, last decade since the, uh, Tom Ford days of of being a creative director at Gucci. It's like when they change the creative director, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, um, you know, the the last creative director who was fired earlier this year, then they also threw out the the CEO. They 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 uh, terminated the president. So now they've got a new creative director, and and but they haven't yet replaced the CEO. And it makes it seems to me that that brand is, you know, they're letting the creative director direct the brand and the strategy and so on. And really, you know, the creative director should serve the brand, not the brand be an extension of the, of the creative director's uh, 
personality or, or, well, or vision it, or so it on. It seems that we, we've seen this a lot in luxury where a new creative director comes in and then that can create tension between existing customers and the customers they're trying to, to target. I'm thinking about, you know, the new and old Celine um, argument. Um, and, and I guess that's an interesting point I think you're making about it also not being a very good time to alienate your existing customer with your creative by abandoning your strategy if it's going to be a hard time to bring new people into your funnel because the Henrys don't yeah. want to spend and the new luxury customer is not quite ready to get there. So it's a pretty uh, bad time to be taking <laughs> that sort of risk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, then I, but then I am curious, you know, what's the alternative rather than taking that big bet? Like, do you uh, try to stay the course or go up and try to re-engage with your even more affluent customer? Uh, you know, there's always risks of increasing accessibility for luxury. Um, yes. Kind of how do you pivot or is the strategy to just wait and weather the storm? Well, uh, my, my, my perception is about Gucci anyway, is they've gotten too common. And a lot of the luxury brands have because they have gone more toward lower price, premium price products and sort of, you know, move down where they really need to be exalted. They need yeah. to hold themselves up as something, you know, aspirational. And it's interesting because the luxury brands talk a lot about aspirational consumers and, you know, building up aspiration for a brand is critical to the function of what a luxury brand is. But you don't build aspiration by lowering lowering your status and, and appealing to the quote unquote aspirational consumers. So you really need to 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 keep keep the the uh, the position exalted. And I and if you look at someone like Hermes and Chanel, both of whom reported very strong earnings. Yeah, they and, did. Uh, They're the one. Unlike uh, Kering and LVMH, they did very well. Yes, exactly. They they reported very very strong sales. And if we look at them, I mean, Hermes doesn't have a you know a, a name. You know, you you don't associate that with any creative director. And if we look at Chanel, I mean, Carl uh, Lagerfeld really everything that he did was interpreting Coco. Everything was the the brand and Coco Chanel were at the center of all of his iterations and all of his adaptions and all of his, his um, creative styles. And, you know, he was, you know, bigger than life, but he, he kept the purity, um, the heritage, the, 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 the style cues and cues and clues from Coco and reflected so, that. So in what his are design. your thoughts about Pharrell Williams at LV and uh, Beyonce at Tiffany's? You know, like, I mean, that that's kind of, that's an affluent. I don't know, Annie, you weigh in on this too. Well, I, I wonder well, what you guys think about that. I guess to me, it seems like what, what you are sort of communicating there, how I, I interpret it is also a lot of what we talk about in our classes is the idea that your tactics should be listening to and interpreting your strategy, but your tactics aren't your strategy. And exactly. so you want to update the tactics to fit the current context, the current customer, the current economic environment, but not in a way that does injustice to that initial strategy. And I think what you're describing is when people confuse the, the tactics and the strategy. And so to answer your question more directly... I see Pharrell and Beyonce as contemporary examples of putting a strategy um, to life with current 
you know, tactical options, which would be who's aspirational right now to the younger consumer that's going to have that discretionary income. Um, you know, what does luxury mean to younger consumers, especially, um, you know, with Pharrell and streetwear becoming more associated with luxury? I think the meaning of luxury is changing. And so the tactics are shifting, but the brands that are seem to be performing better are sticking with the initial strategy and just updating of from S- that. Of high yeah. end and not going too far down. Yeah. Well, I'd like to, you know, add in terms of, you know, Farrell's interpretation of Louis Vuitton in the menswear collection and replacing Victor Abloh. Because, you know, when I when you look at Louis Vuitton and their menswear collection, they have nothing on the line. The only place they have to take that brand is up or take that that collection is up. So they're not they're not risking anything with that. They risk absolutely nothing when it comes to Louis Vuitton. Uh, in the women's wear line and in the leather leather goods category, so you know I I, I kind of think Farrell is just it's it's just a, it's a short term thing to kind of bump sales, but I don't think they're they're not putting anything on the line. Okay, well let's shift gears a little. Um, you alluded yeah. to this a little bit, and I'm I'm a little bit worried to ask you this, but uh, what do you think? Is it going to be a good holiday season or not? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, my advice to retailers is to keep your expectations low, <laughs> and I think that you may, you know, you may get a surprise at the end. But I I am always worried. I mean, um, the National Retail Federation is coming out with their their forecasts tomorrow. Um, they are, you know, predictably very positive. I mean, that's their job. They're yeah, the cheerleader for the retail. And it's almost like if you if you buy the PR, if you if you really lit, you know, if you really believe what they're saying, I think you're going to set yourself up for a great disappointment um, at the end of the year. So I'm 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 advising people to keep their expectations low. And again, it's it's because of these. Because of what's happening with the affluent consumers, um, the top quintile, which are people with incomes of about, you know, household incomes of about 250000 250, and above, um, the top quintile, 20% of, of those households, they account for about 40% of U.S. spending. The next quintile down from about $100,000, they account for another 20%. So those two top quintiles, 40% of consumer households spend about 60% of the of the overall market. So they really punch above their weight. And they are being very cautious. And, you know, I, I the the one the one survey that I really believe reflects what's going on in the in the marketplace is one that just came out from Accenture. And they are predicting that consumer their survey shows that consumers are going to cut their spending by about 5%. And if you think about it, you know, we've already seen, you know, what 5% um, inflation, if not more. So they're really going to, they're going to cut back and they're cutting back um, by cutting people from their, their shopping list. And the people who stay on their list are going to be, they're going to be getting fewer gifts. So I think we're going to see some uh, real differences this year versus last year when people had, you know, still had their government checks and right. you know, well, their checks yeah. and so do on. You, so I think... Do you, sorry, do you predict, though, any potential positive effects on the, the retailers that are targeting the lower income or less affluent 
consumers from the perspective of if the Henrys aren't spending on the luxury brands and they're trying to cut, but they still want to show up with with gifts? Do you think it's possible they could also uh, turn down with some of their spending, which could be to the benefit of some of those retailers? Or do you see it as total preservation strategy? uh, I well, you know, they're always shopping um, mass market. I mean, it's like, you know, the idea that that affluent consumers only shop luxury. I mean, they're always they're shopping across a wide range of retailers already. So I think, you know, I think that it's more likely that they're going to they're going to go to a Macy's versus going to Bloomingdale's to fill their shopping list. Um, That that might very well be a a shift that we see for them. But I think, you know, overall, I think it's just going to be a tough, a tough year. And there's going to be tremendous pressure for promote promotions. This yeah, year I mean, the sales. promotional season started so early. It was like before Halloween, we we're seeing some of these sales come in. And speaking of 2008, I remember that was a huge mistake that people did. They just cut prices. It seems to right. me that it, it seems to me so dumb that they're putting these promotions out earlier and earlier and getting right. people so price sensitive. That does seem like a crazy strategy, but, particularly right. for luxury, but just down the down the whole chain doesn't make right. sense to me. Exactly. And it's going to be it's going to be brutal. The Accenture survey also found that people are shopping uh, or waiting longer to shop. And you know, the, the, the last five or so years, people have been shopping earlier and earlier. And now they're really making a shift in their shopping later. And it's interesting because if they shop earlier, they tend to buy more because it's spread out over yeah, a longer yeah. period of time. If you condense your shopping um, to the last couple of weeks or uh, in December, you're much more likely to, to keep track of what you've spent and, and hold on tighter. So that's going to be another another factor that we're going to see. Have you heard anything about any potential delivery issues or supply chain issues? Is there any talk about that? Um, well, I think that overall that that has largely been resolved um, in, in the marketplace. But, you know, sales, you're going to have to you're going to have to watch those carefully because what what's on sale yesterday may not be on sale today. So, I mean, that's that's going to be playing into this whole the whole psychology of uh, getting the shoppers into the store and getting them to buy. So let me ask you another. I don't know if you'll know this or not, but do you know like what's hot for Christmas or like, do you know the the newest, hottest things? Like what categories are hot and what, like, do we need, all need to get red pants this year or like? <laughs> you know no, you, you know, I, I, I really, I'm, I'm not that familiar with what's going on. I mean, the, you know, toys are going to be, you know, again, Christmas is, is still a kid's holiday. So I think where the splurges are going to occur will be parents splurging for their children, grandparents splurging for their grandchildren. So I think that that's going to, be, that's going to get a, a lot more attention this year. But, you know, a lot of the, the toy companies are in a lot of trouble, too. I, you know, it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of interesting to me. Um, I think that they're also, uh, there's going to be a lot of gift card giving because I think people are more than in previous years. And that's always a big category. But I think because of how much, you know, inflation has affected people and how tight people's budgets are this year, I think they're going to be opting for gift cards so that the recipient can make decisions about where they spend. And another interesting data point in the Accenture survey 
was that people are going to be doing more make you know do it yourself gifts make your own gifts so i think it might be a very a very good holiday for the michaels and the joannes and the hobby lobbies of the you can of make the your world. Own pants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and guess what that carries a, a, a do it yourself a handmade gift carries more meaning um to the uh, recipient you're, you're... because it really you put not do you not just spend money but you put your most valuable, your mo- your ultimate luxury into your gift, which is your. So let me ask you, Annie. I know you teach some. You teach undergrad still, right? I do. do yeah. So do you? I, I, we won't talk. <laughs> have you noticed anything different? And have they been talking about any of this? Like, it's, I know. I'll just tell you, my kids. They give me powerpoints with what they want. So like, I'm one. You know, and there's a lot. You're talking about gift cards and things like that. There's also a lot more creating your lists of what you want, like registries and things like that. So it's a little bit less of you know. Let me give you a big surprise under the tree, kind of. You know, you're eavesdropping when you talk to Santa to hear what people really want. Have you heard anything along the lines of those kind of trends? So my undergrads don't ask me for gifts, fortunately. (laughs) And we don't do a Santa occasion um, (laughs) other than asking for grades. Um, But, I I mean, I do notice, I think, a little bit of the behavior that you're observing um, with my nephews who are younger. Um, They're under the age of 10. But they, I find it to be just a unique consumption pattern of their um, viewership of YouTube and kid influence and unboxing and watching kids playing with toys. So they do seem to create these lists based off of what their kid influencer buys. You know, this kid has that train, and so I'm going to list that set specifically. It seems to also be, um, I guess, from that perspective, more specific secondary demand rather than just the primary demand of I want a train. It's like Mm. I want this specific one because that kid opened it and it looked really fun, which I find fascinating that this is coming from five and six year olds. (laughs) Yeah, That's consistent with, you know, when my son asks for gifts, he asks like for a certain color, certain size. (laughs) This is what it looks like. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. The influences are kind of pushing in that direction. Usually you just talk kind of casually to friends and see what other people have. And I do see generally, I mean, and this has been happening for a number of years just with like technology changes, but the ticket item of each gift is getting higher for for kids as we think about like different technologies getting out of like the really toy little kid ages, uh, which is fewer gifts of maybe higher value. Um, I feel like I, I see that more among older relatives, too, of really only wanting one or two things, but they're very expensive things. And so I'm not sure if if you've observed this, um, Pam, but also um, I've noticed more like Secret Santa Mm -hmm. trending of like, let's group together. And so we don't buy gifts for everyone, which goes to your cutting people off the list or group gifts. So why don't we all chip in because our budgets are less so that we can still give the awesome surprise without all taking the hit. So I I don't know if you've have you seen that in the data? Yeah, yes, absolutely. The secret Santa where you, you know, you you do go together and there's definitely that's going to be a, you know, an ultimate budget, you know, a budget managing strategy for the giver. But ultimately, there's a bigger there's a bigger payoff at the end for the recipient. So yes, very definitely. Yeah, that's a that's a good trend, I think. Well, Pam, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your writing and what you're doing now? Well, I encourage them to uh, come to Forbes.com and uh, look under business retail, and they'll see my stories. I I, I uh, put a lot into those stories, a lot of research because I think it's really 
important to let the data talk and speak for itself and tell the story. And they can also come to my website, unitymarketingonline.com. And uh, my books are uh, on Amazon. So I, I hope that uh, people will, will find me. Okay. Well, thank you Great. very much. Thank it's you a pleasure so much. having you. Thank well, you. Nice to talk. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd like to thank our producers, Dion Simpkins and Dana Cash. We're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we replay our show several times throughout the week. You can follow our show on Twitter at SXM Marketing, and you can follow Business Radio at SXM Business for information about all our programming. You can also see us on Knowledge at Wharton website and look for our podcast. Thank you all for listening today. We'll be back next week. Till then, this has been Mark. Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Kahn here with Annie Wilson, who's the Senior Lecturer of Marketing at the Wharton School, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.